All right, y'all, I'm excited to be back here. I've had two weeks off from preaching. Uh, I was really nervous in the first service. My voice wouldn't make it through. We'll see if number two goes. Um, I'm also nervous about how long I might go. So if I, let's be honest, when I go long, <laughs> it's because I'm making up for lost time, all right? Um, I'm so glad to be here, excited to be preaching again. Um, I do want to say that I am so thankful for uh, Jake and for Jay, who preached over the last couple of weeks, not just for their preaching um, or their willingness to preach, but for their faithful gospel-centered preaching. I, can, I know I can trust those guys to open the Bible and point, point us to Christ, so thankful for them. Uh, we're in this year of discipleship, F260 Bible Reading Plan. We're starting into week 26. If you haven't joined us, please do. Um, we're in this series uh, five of eight this year called Prepare the Way. And so last week we jumped in the book of Daniel. Jay was in Daniel chapter three. And let me just set the context for a moment about where this book lands. Um, the, the Jewish people, God's people have been taken into exile. They've been in, taken into captivity because of their persistent rebellion against God. God warned them over and over and over, stop worshiping other gods, follow me. Um, and they continued to rebel. And so God's judgment on them was to allow Babylon to come in and take them into captivity, which lasted for 70 years. And there is a correlation here that today we live in a modern day Babylon. And what I mean by that is just like the Jews who were in Babylon um, back then, uh, we live in a culture that is intensely opposed to the Lord and to his ways. And not just a little bit opposed to the Lord, but dramatically, intensely. I mean, you can't even, you can't even go to see a Pixar Disney movie these days without the world's agenda being shoved down our throat. This world, this culture that we live in is intensely opposed to the Lord and his ways. And we are like the Jews in Babylon. We are strangers living in a foreign land. This is not our home. And so our values, if they are biblical values, are not going to line up with the values of the world. I think about the Hamdards, our Afghan family that we've supported since the fall and helping them to adjust to a new culture. And so um, a lot of different values and all kinds of things. And they are adjusting and will continue to adjust and there will come a day, I'm sure, where they'll feel like they've been Americans for forever. But for us in this land, in this world in which we live, it's never going to feel totally like home. Our values are always going to be in conflict. Uh, our values are going to be in conflict with the world. And to live in this world by faith as a Christ follower, just like the Jews in Babylon, is to invite the opposition of the world. 100% is to invite the opposition of the world. Jay mentioned this verse last week, 2 Timothy 2.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we saw that in Daniel chapter 3 last week. The, the decree, the, the, the push from the, the world was, hey, bow down to, to our idols. Bow, bow down to the idols of our land. Worship at the world's altar or you're, you'll be cast out. And like, doesn't that sound like our world? Worship our idols, bow to our idols, what we say is valuable. And if you don't, we're going to cancel you. We're going to cast you out, right? That's just like our world. Daniel 3, that's what we saw. Daniel 6, which is where we'll be today, we see that simply living faithfully in the land may bring opposition and trial. 
And so today's sermon is titled, Trust in the God Who Saves. Trust in the God Who Saves. So we're going to work through Daniel chapter 6. And it's, y'all, it, it is a long chapter. It's 28 verses. Um, but I could not leave anything out. We're going to read through the whole thing. We're going to divide it up into three chunks and see what we can learn from this incredible story in Daniel chapter 6. All right. So Daniel chapter 6, first thing we want to see is that Daniel was blameless. Daniel was blameless. So let's read the first nine verses in Daniel chapter 6. It says this, It pleased Darius, who was the king at this point, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, or three governors, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might not suffer, or might suffer loss, no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So let me pause for a second. We saw this last week, but as these Jews were brought into captivity in this foreign land in Babylon, these three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, their friend, these four kind of rose above the rest and their wisdom, and their influence. And so here's Daniel, who has, again, found favor in the king's eyes, and he's being set up as one of these three high officials, one of these three governors. All right, verse number four. Here's what it says. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, and they start to flatter him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So Daniel was blameless. What you see is he gets this high position. His fellow leaders um, don't want him to have that position. And so they're trying to find a way to discredit him. And what I want to let you know in this story, when, when, when you all think of, of Daniel, how many of you all heard Daniel like stories of Daniel in the lion's den, like growing up in Sunday school, flannel graph, anybody, all right? Um, we typically think of Daniel being a boy, right? Or a teenager, a young man. Well, he was a young man when he came in, but at this point in the story, he's in his 80s, all right? So all those fun coloring pictures you did, they were all a lie. They, <laughs> your Sunday school teacher sold you a lie. He was in his 80s. He was no young man at this point, all right? Because why would a 15-year-old be a governor, right? It's this, he's in his 80s at this point. And I want you to see some, some things about his character. Verses 3 and 4. 
it says that he was distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. There was something different about Daniel. Verse number four, it says that when those leaders sought to find ground for complaint against him with regard to the kingdom, they could find nothing, no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. No error or fault was found in him. And I think this is just such a remarkable thing. I, I want to read you a quote from theologian David Guzik. He says this, Sometimes today a candidate or nominee for office will be set under this kind of scrutiny. Okay, so think about when any you know, governor, president, any, any office, somebody is nominated. What happens? Everyone starts to like vultures, right? Let's dig up some dirt. Let's find the skeletons in the closet. Nothing's changed in politics since, you know, 6th century BC. Same thing. Imagine looking as hard as you could at a public servant who had been in office some 50 years and finding nothing wrong. All right, that's amazing, isn't it? You look at my life in the last like five minutes and you're going to find a stupid offensive joke or something that I've said in public. Nothing wrong. No fraudulent expense accounts, no intern scandals, no questionable business deals, no gifts from lobbyists, no accusations from his staff. Simply, there were no skeletons in Daniel's closet. His enemies examined his life and found nothing to attack. They had to make up something. This isn't to imply that Daniel was actually sinless, but that he was a man of great integrity. And so I think this is such an amazing story that they're looking at his life. Like, okay, what can we do? How can we discredit him? How can we bring shame upon his name? And they could find nothing. And the incredible part of the story when it comes to Daniel is that there was only one thing that they could latch onto. There was only one thing they could find him guilty of. Did you catch it? His devotion to the Lord. His dedication, his commitment, his faithfulness to God. They said, we have to, we have to somehow connect it to the law of his God. That's the only way that we're going to take him out. And so let me ask you this question this morning. And I hate this question. I honestly hate it. What would you be found guilty of? If you had those who came in and were trying to examine your life, throw dirt at you, to discredit you, what would you be guilty of? I just think it's amazing that Daniel was nothing. The only thing he was guilty of is guilty. I love God and I follow God with my whole life. And I think that would be hard. I feel like that would be hard for us to say, right? That's a, that's a hard thing. But Daniel was blameless, not sinless, not perfect, but he had this reputation. Man, there was nothing. He was squeaky clean. Here's the second thing I want to see about about Daniel is this. Daniel had consistent spiritual habits. Really, this feeds into that first thing. He was blameless because he had consistent spiritual habits. Let's read verses 10 through 18. So it says in verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He sat down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. 
Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Didn't you do this? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance, uh, ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. They know that he's trying to get Daniel out of this mess. And they said, nothing can change this according to the law of the Medes and Persians. Verse 16, then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared or shouted to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions or distractions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So what we see here, starting back in verse 7, is that, that all, all of these high officials, all of these important higher ups had turned against Daniel. Like he was on this island and he became a target for these fellow high officials. And let me just pause there and say this, that sometimes doing the right thing in the right way with the right attitude, sometimes, unfortunately, that puts you in the crosshairs living in Babylon. And this is what's going on with Daniel. He has done nothing, and yet he becomes a target. And did, did you notice his response to the accusations? Uh, he didn't, like, run and jump on social media and gripe. He didn't stress out. The first thing he did, what did he do? He went into his closet, into his room, his prayer closet, and he prayed. Daniel was a man of prayer. He was full of prayer. And I, I want to backtrack for a moment to Daniel chapter 2, because when he was a young man, we saw this very early on in his life. In Daniel chapter 2, when Daniel and his three friends are brought, they're, they're some of the wisest in the land. But King Nebuchadnezzar at the time has this dream. And this dream freaked him out, and he tried to get the wise men, the magicians, to interpret the dream. No one could. And so King Nebuchadnezzar was just going to put them all to death, all the wise men in the land, which included Daniel and his three friends, unless there was an interpretation to his dream. And so Daniel gets word of this, that death is, is impending. And in Daniel chapter 2, this was his response, verse number 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends. He made the matter known to them, his companions, verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Here's this bad news. Hey, we're all going to die. What does Daniel do? He runs to his friends and says, pray, seek the mercy of the God of heaven 
because he is the one who will deliver us. So Daniel was, from a young age even, he was full of prayer. He was full of gratitude. I don't know if you caught that. It says that he went three times a day, he prayed, and he gave thanks. Like, would you consider that in the midst of the circumstance he's in, that he's actually giving thanks in the midst of what he's dealing with? He prayed and he gave thanks. He was full of prayer. He was full of gratitude. He was full of trust in God. Remember, he is in his 80s now. So he has been serving in, or living in Babylon for some 60 years. And he, so he has watched for decades the faithfulness of God as God has delivered his people and has worked and protected his people. And so he's full of trust in God because he has watched God's faithfulness for decades. And Daniel himself has lived consistently faithful to his God. And so Daniel, he had consistent spiritual habits built into his life. And I want you to catch two phrases. If you look back at verse number 10 and verse number 16, there's a couple phrases here that, that kind of jump out to you. It talks about how he prayed three times a day. He gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. All right, so what we're talking about here is he was... He was consistent. This was something that he was consistently doing. That, that other phrase, verse number, number uh, 16, the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And I think you see that again later on. He uses that same phrase, the God whom you serve continually, pops up again in verse number 20. What does this tell us? What does this reveal to us about Daniel's faith? Well, it reveals that it was consistent, Right? It wasn't sporadic. It wasn't hit or miss. Um, it, it wasn't on again, off again. It was consistent. And it was ongoing. It, it, it didn't just start right before the, the storm moved into his life. All right? Have you all ever tried to go to Walmart like the night before a hurricane's supposed to roll in? You know what I'm talking about? And all the shelves are clear. There's no water. There's no bread. There's no milk. Why? Because all the, all the last minute people came in and swept it all up, right? Uh, this, is, this was not Daniel. He, he had this consistent, ongoing faith. So th think about your life, the things that you do consistently and ongoing. What do you call those things? Call them habits, right? Habitual. Those are habitual things in your life. For Daniel, he had these consistent spiritual habits, he was consistent and ongoing. And so let me ask a question. Again, a difficult question. When it comes to your faith, would that word consistent accurately describe your faith? Consistent. Do you have consistent habits in your life? Or do you tend to try to flip on some spiritual switch when the storm rolls in? Like all of a sudden now I need God, so now I'm going to go run into him. Now I'm going to try to read my Bible. Now I'm going to try to do the things that are important because I need God all of a sudden. For Daniel, man, he, he was consistent in his faith. As you had done previously in the God whom you serve continually. So Daniel is this amazing example. Like he's almost like this untouchable example. I want to be, when I read the book of Daniel, I'm like, I want to be like Daniel. Um, Somebody else that you might want to be like. Have, have you, any of y'all watched this movie lately? You may have heard of it. Top Gun Maverick. Anybody seen that? 
All right. Anybody seen it more than once? Anybody confess? I've seen it twice. Anybody? Three times? Three times? Anybody? Going once? Going twice? Okay. Um, great movie. I love this movie. Um, anybody want to be like Tom Cruise? No? I want to be like Tom Cruise. All right. At least age-wise. Y'all know how old Tom Cruise is? I didn't, I, I thought 60, I literally Googled it while we were worshiping, sorry, Lord, um, 59, all right, 59 years old. I want to be like Tom Cruise when I'm 59, all right? I want to be doing the Tom Cruise, like, run, you know what I'm talking, if I was brave, I would do it across the stage, but I would hurt myself. Um, I want to be, I don't want to be like Tom Cruise when it comes to, to height, all right, sorry, all my short friends, you know how tall he is in real life, sorry. Isaac, my Tom Cruise friend, he's five foot seven, five foot seven. They make him look really tall, all right? If they showed him, in, you know, next to his girl, Jennifer Conley in that movie, he'd, I mean, he would be like way down here. Uh, I don't want to be like, like him that way, but uh, so, uh, so I, I had to do this. Tom Cruise, 59 years old. I had to Google and find out what did Tom Cruise look like in 2009? Because Tom Cruise in 2009 was 47 years old. I will be next year, next year, next month, 47 years old. So I'm like, I don't know. I might, I don't look as good as Tom Cruise, but I may, I may, when I'm 59, look like, because that's him and this is me at 47. Do we, any resemblance whatsoever? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Hey, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to give him a run for, my, for his money in my old age. I want to be like him that way, but um, think about his call sign, though. All right, You know what his call sign was in this movie? It's, obviously, it's in the title. Maverick. Maverick was his, his call sign. So think about what a maverick is. I don't know if you know the definition of a maverick. A maverick is someone who refuses to play by the rules, someone that does things their own way. They're a rebel, right? And that's kind of the cool thing about uh, Pete Mitchell and this movie, this like desire to, you know, do his own thing and rebel against his authority. And I think there's a cool factor to it. I don't know if it would translate the same way in the real world. I tend to think not, right? Um, but he was a maverick in all senses of the word. And what I want to get at this morning is this. This was not who Daniel was. Daniel was not this maverick. He was fully obedient to God. He was, a, he was a rebel in the sense that he didn't necessarily go along with the culture, what was doing. You know, the three Hebrew friends in Daniel 3, um, they defied the king when they were pushed into that situation. But with Daniel, he was just privately faithful. You don't see Daniel, um, you know, stiff-arming the king, refusing the king. Uh, he was just privately faithful to God. He, he did what First Peter, what, what the Apostle Peter says in First Peter chapter 2, says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. The Apostle Peter says, hey, obey, be submissive, subject yourself to every human institution, to kings, governors, all of it. And he's also, Peter is also the, some, the same one who says in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, when him and his fellow apostles were charged with not preaching in the name of Jesus, he was the, also the same one who said this, we must obey God rather than men. 
So, so Peter, live in subjection to your authority, even your governmental authority. But then at the same time, at the end of the day, he says, but when worse comes to worse, obey God rather than man. And, and Daniel was a guy who lived up to 1 Peter chapter 2. He, and, and then some. He was so obedient and he, was, he had such a good testimony and such good character that that's why he was elevated in his government. He wasn't this maverick that was all against the, the, the government of his culture at that time. He followed the Lord faithfully and privately, and God blessed him for that. But he was also a guy that said, I'm, I'm going to obey God rather than men. And so you're going to try to force me to not pray? It's not going to happen. And I believe that if Daniel was you know, pushed into this, this public defiance, he would have done the same thing as, that his three friends did. And, and, you know, when I think about my life, when I read through the book of Daniel, I'm like, man, I want to be like Daniel. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a man of courage. I want to be a man who stands strong despite the culture. But I also want to point this out about Daniel. Daniel was courageous and faithful, not because he stood up to the king in public, but because he kneeled before the Lord in private. There is no scene in here where he's defying the king or is against the king. He was just privately faithful to the Lord. And God blessed him for this. God, listen, God is not looking for mavericks who will play by their own rules in the kingdom of God. You know what God is looking for? He's looking for men and women who will live by his rules according to his word and do things his way with his heart and his attitude. That is what God is looking for, not mavericks. As much as I love Tom Cruise, all right? And Daniel had these consistent spiritual habits. He had this, this pattern in his life, this pattern of prayer, this pattern of gratitude, this pattern of serving. And so therefore, when the storm came rolling into his life, he was prepared. He was ready to deal with the storm because he had privately devoted himself to the Lord. In fact, one of the things that kind of shocked me, again, as I read through this passage, which I've read through however many times in my life, I come across this passage and I noticed Daniel doesn't really, like up to this point, Daniel hasn't even said a word to anyone. There's no dialogue between Daniel and anyone. The only dialogue recorded is that Daniel prayed. Daniel ran to the Lord and prayed and was faithful to him. And this is who Daniel was. In fact, in verse 14, it talks about King Darius and how when he got word, when he found out what was going on, man, he became distressed. He was stressed out because he wanted to figure out a way. How do I deliver Daniel? And yet Daniel, the one who was going to be thrown into the den, man, he wasn't stressed. He wasn't trying to deliver himself because he knew and trusted the one who would deliver him. And so Daniel had this, this, this consistent life of spiritual habits. So Daniel was blameless. He had consistent spiritual habits. Here's the third and final thing we'll see. God's power 
overpowers the power of the enemy. God's power overpowers the power of the enemy. Let's just read through the rest of this story, starting in verse number 29. It says, Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, and here's that phrase again, whom you serve continually, has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel, here's his first recorded words here. He says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Verse number 24. And the king commanded, And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And here's that decree that we we saw earlier. I make a decree that in in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So incredible story of deliverance. God's power overpowers the power of the enemy. And let me just take a minute, uh, if you'll allow me, to compare Daniel 3 to Daniel chapter 6. And I'm just going to put them pretty quickly on the screen because there's a lot of um, similarities in these two stories between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the burning fiery furnace and Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel 3 and Daniel 6, the decree, there was a decree from a king in each case. In Daniel 3, King Nebuchadnezzar said, fall down and worship the golden image. In Daniel chapter 6, the decree from King Darius was, hey, no one's to pray, make any petitions to any god or man for 30 days. Both of them experienced opposition. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it came from, quote, certain Chaldeans. I, like, I, didn't, I shared this with a few people this week, but that phrase really like, gets in my crawl because as, like, as a pastor, you know, certain people have a problem with you. And it's like, who are those certain people, those nameless people? And that's kind of the case in Daniel chapter three. Certain Chaldeans came against the three. In Daniel six, the opposition was from these high officials and satraps. The king's response in each case. In Daniel three, Nebuchadnezzar, he was furious that these three young Hebrews refused to bow down to him, to his image. In chapter six, what we just saw, King Darius, man, he was distressed He was distressed because Daniel was his boy. Daniel chapter 3, the consequence of disobeying this decree, cast into a burning fiery furnace. In Daniel chapter 6, Daniel was cast into a den of lions. But then deliverance in each case. In chapter 3, this is, is what the king said. God has sent his angel and delivered his servants. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel says this, My God sent his angel 
and shut the lion's mouths. And so coming off of what Jay talked about last week, typically within the scriptures, when you see the phrase, the angel of the Lord, usually that's a reference to a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. And so that other that was in the fire with the three was Jesus. And that one who came to shut the mouths of the lion in the den with Daniel was Jesus. The deliverer came and delivered. And then in each case, in Daniel 3 and Daniel chapter 6, the king praised the Lord and revised his decree. In Daniel 3, as Jay so eloquently put last week, he threatened to tear off their limbs and burn down their homes. That was the one thing that stuck with me, Jay. That was awesome. Um, in Daniel chapter 6, he says, hey, everyone tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. And so you see this, these comparisons here. And, you know, like I said, Daniel is such a great example for us to follow. Hebrews chapter 11, let me read these couple verses here. This hall of faith that is honoring those who have had such strong faith through the ages in the Lord. And it says in Hebrews 11, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice, obtained promises. Here it is, stopped the mouths of lions, which could apply to multiple um, men through the ages. Verse 34, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and so on. So Daniel is this incredible example of faith that we ought to follow. But I want to make sure you hear this, because lest you look at the example of Daniel, who was blameless, who had this incredibly consistent life and look at yourself and go, man, I'm, I fall so far short of that. Let me just say this. Daniel is not the hero of this story. Daniel is not the one who delivered himself from the mouth of the lion. It was through faith in the one who was a deliverer. God delivered Daniel, God is the hero. God is the only one powerful enough to save. And so if you hear anything this morning, I want you to hear this, that God is the one who's powerful to save. So the king was powerful, right? He was powerful, but apparently not powerful enough. He couldn't revoke the decree. He couldn't save Daniel. He had to surrender and say, okay, I can't deliver him. This is why he comes to the end and praises God because he had the power to deliver. The lions in this story, obviously the lions are powerful, right? They had the power to take his life and yet they could not harm the one who was under God's protection. And so there's all these levels of power in our world and yet there's this whole other level of power and it's God's power. It is God's sovereignty, God's power overpowers the power of the enemy. And the enemy may be powerful, but what is true then is true today is that God is more powerful. Amen. God's power overpowers the power of the enemy. He is sovereign. And we see that all throughout the life of Daniel. And so how do we live in light of this? Let me give you three statements and then we'll be done Three things. How do we live in light of this? Because chances are, you know, close to 100% that you'll probably never get thrown into a den of lions, right? What do we do with what we see in this passage? Here's the first thing. 
You can trust God on the basis of his character, not on the basis of your circumstances. You can trust God on the basis of his character because his character never changes. He is always for you. He loves you. He's, he is looking for his glory and for your good. And so you can trust him on the basis of his character, not your circumstances, which will shift, which will change. And so I don't know what circumstances you find yourself into in this season of your life. You may be in a den of lions of your own. Can I encourage you this morning? Trust in the character of God, which never changes. Amen? You can trust God on the basis of his character. Here's the second thing. Develop consistent spiritual habits before the storm so that you can endure faithfully through the storm. Develop consistent spiritual habits before the storm. All right, so that when the storm comes, you're not running to Walmart at 9, at 9 p.m., right? So that you're ready. So when the earthquake hits at 1.30 a.m., you'll never be prepared for that, right? So that when the storm comes, if you have built into your life these habits, if you have rooted yourself in Christ, when that storm comes, you may struggle, you may be disappointed, but you don't have to be stressed out. You don't have to be overcome by the storm if you will develop these things in your life. Now, if you will root yourself. And that is why, again, why we are doing this Bible reading plan, why we're trying to root ourselves in the scriptures. Not so you can feel like you've accomplished something by completing a Bible reading plan, all right? I could care less if you check off every single day of this year of this Bible reading plan. What I care most about is that you are rooted in Christ, in his word, you are hearing from him, that he's speaking to you, so that when the storm comes in your life, you're gonna be like that, that palm tree that is rooted and can sway with the storm, but man, you can't take it out. And that was Daniel, because he had, from an early age, Daniel chapter two, as a young man, he was a man of prayer, he was a man of gratitude, he was a man who served God continually. So develop these things in your life now so that when the storm comes tomorrow, next week, next year, you're rooted. All right, here's a third and final thing this morning. God saves. God saves us today from the power of sin, death, and hell through Jesus. God is still a deliverer. God still saves. Today, he saves us from our sin. He saves us from death and from uh, the, the sting of death and the power of hell through Jesus. And I want to read John 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And so at the, at the end of the day, y'all, all the chaos and all the division and all the vitriol going on in our world, at the end of the day, what is most important is the gospel, that Jesus has come to set us free from our sin, from the power of death and hell. And he came and he laid his life down so that we could experience freedom and true eternal rescue. And so I've got to ask you this morning, have you put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, 
to be the one. He is the only one who can save you. You can't save yourself. Your good deeds can't save you. Only Christ can save you. He's already done the work. Would you receive him by faith? And if you had, amen. I rejoice with you. But are you living a life of faith, consistent faith, like Daniel did? You know, in this book, the book of Daniel, we see Daniel, we see his three friends who are faced with extreme trial, extreme tribulation, and yet through it they lived with extreme courage and conviction. They came out on the other side victorious because they had a strong faith in a strong God. And so my last question for the morning is this, where is your faith today? Where is it today? I want to invite you to bow your head with me. And I want you to just take a moment to ask the Lord, like, God, what are you saying to me today? Maybe for you, you've never put your faith in Jesus, and maybe today is the day when you would say, I want to know more. I want a relationship with God. And maybe for you today, maybe there's conviction because of the consistency of your faith. Listen, we all fall, we all stumble, we all at times go through seasons where we're on again, off again, and maybe you look at the example of Daniel today and uh, you feel shame or regret, and you can let go of that today. You can lay it at the feet of Jesus, and you can come to him in faith and repentance and receive his grace and his mercy. God is the only one who can save. He can save you from your sin. He can save you from your apathy. He can save you from your inconsistency and your boredom. He is the one who rescues. He is the one who redeems. And so, Lord, I just thank you for this story that we've seen this morning from Daniel. Wow, I just thank you for the example of a man who stood his entire life living faithfully to you. Not when it was easy, but Lord, in the midst of Babylon. And it was because of his private, personal, up-close devotion to you. And God, my prayer for all of us is, first of all, that we would know you as our Savior. God, that if there's anyone here that doesn't, that you would draw them to yourself, that they would ask questions, they would be courageous enough to investigate. God, for those of us who know you, I pray that you would help us to walk by faith and live by faith, that our lives would be marked by consistent devotion to you. And God, we thank you that where we fall short, your grace is enough. And so, Lord, we come to you today with gratitude for your goodness and your grace. And we just want to worship you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.